Howdy. Welcome to Undersampled Radio, the show where we talk science, tech, oil, business, politics, and more. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Graham. Together, we're the hosts of this circus. To follow the conversation, make suggestions, or rant and rave, please visit the forum Software Underground at swung.rocks. everyone and welcome to episode 39 of Undersampled Radio. You may see quite a difference here in our setup today if you're watching this live on YouTube. We have our, is this our second one, Matt? Second, second live guest? Yes. Second live guest of all time. In office in New Orleans today, we have Ethan, Dr. Ethan Rosenthal. Hey. Hey there. How's it going? Good. Matt. Welcome. Nice. Hi. Yeah. Thanks. Nice to see you both. Matt's still You're up just in just... Nova Scotia North, but um... yeah, I'm in uh, I'm in the North, and it really feels like the North at the moment. Um, but uh, you were just describing how exciting things are. Are you Are you mentioning the local excitement on air? No, it's a, it's a big old secret. But uh... <laughs> I just happen to be in town just just for this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. We're, right. we're very excited to have Ethan here. The, the, actually, if you guys have not yet checked it out. Um, you should check out. It's like it's, I think it's episode zero. No, it's episode one or two or something like that. We have. Uh, yeah, we did a, we did a funky one by ourselves. I think to start yeah. with. Right, right. The Hello World episode. But so okay, so so index uh, number one is is right. Sebastian Good, and he's live and direct, and that is an awesome episode. So if you haven't listened to it, man, we really it nailed it on that first one. So you got you've got a lot to live up to today, Ethan. No pressure. Cool, cool, cool. No pressure. Yeah. So you guys need to. Just a little bit, just like, there you go. I don't, really... know if, I don't know if I'm seeing what YouTube sees. I guess my window dimensions could have something to do with it. Yeah. Um, but, but that looks good, that looks good. We're very, we're very snuggly now. Now I see, <laughs> very close. I see all, the, all four ears. Cheek to cheek. <laughs> we're dancing cheek to cheek. How many times have I sung a song on this on this show? Quite a few, I think. Uh, not often enough. What's a... <laughs> <laughs> What's unpaywell.org, Matt? Oh yeah, it's pretty. I'll check it out. It's a Chrome extension, um, and what what it does is, um, when you visit an article, if it's paywall, regardless of whether it's paywalled or not, when you visit the web, you know, the, like the DOI type page of an article, um, it kind of looks in the background to see if it knows where there is a um, a preprint or some freely accessible version of the same article. Um, awesome. So I don't know the details about how it's doing that or what, but apparently it knows about the locations of kind of millions of um, paywalled articles. So and of course, putting preprints on a preprint server like Archive or on the author's website or wherever it may be is a completely awesome and legal way of um, of sharing uh, manuscripts, so and it it completely just sits in the background. So anytime you go to a scholarly journal page or site, it just pops up on the right with a little gray icon if it can't find anything, a little green one if it can. You can just hit that and get the PDF. It's pretty awesome. What, what's your success rate been like? Uh, for geophysics, it's not good. I did like a little survey of, and weirdly, like it doesn't. I guess it probably depends what kind of coding that they the journal has on the page, but it couldn't even tell. Like I visited a couple of 
couple of our articles, you know, that are open access already. Yep. And it's like it doesn't do anything, which I guess maybe it shouldn't because Yeah, that's a feature, man. Because there is no pay there is no like other version. This one's open. Um, but it would be nice if it lit up green then, maybe. Um but I tried a handful of others in geophysics and the leading engine, nothing. Gotcha. You but, could uh, yeah. you could just carry a piece of green electrical tape around with you and so when you look at it, you just stick it on a screen there. It's pretty sad. I mean, it's it, you know, it's amazing how few authors in our field, like it's quite common in math and physics, but in geophysics, it's amazing how few authors have a list of their papers on their website or whatever with sure. manuscripts. And they can do that, right? They like legally, yeah. they can provide yes, that list. Of course. Totally. Yeah, yeah. You can host. Um, I think some journals like Nature prefer it if it's hosted on a. Um, I don't know, like a, a, a big, well-known preprint server, like Archive, they certainly tolerate that. Um, I think they'd rather that than kind of, you know, the, the Linux box under your desk or whatever. But um, yeah, I think most most journals explicitly allow authors to do that. And, yeah. and if you're awesome like Matt, you'll write a blog post about it and put that up anyway, so you can get the blog post and the paper. Well, so I, I should have mentioned too that a lot of the, um, a lot of this open stuff. There's a chap called Jonathan Tennant. Uh, his Twitter handle is Proto Hedgehog, and uh, he's worth following for open access science stuff. So that was how I found out about this um, this little extension. And yeah, he's super active in that whole sci like open science space. So, so. Before we before we move on, I want I want to clarify something here. So because we're now like snuggled up so closely together, I actually don't really have very good access to my mouse. So it falls upon you, Ethan, to to do the sound effects this episode. Uh, okay, so try fine. just try one out here so you get the hang of it. I'm uh I'm feeling the drums. There you go. So you get these. Okay. All right. That's enough. Excellent. That's enough. Okay. So just so you know. Um, you feel like that's uh, that's a thing. So you can also put hats on us if you actually it probably doesn't work with two people. But anyway, enjoy that. Um, I wanted to mention before we introduce our guest today, like we already did. Uh, I'm I've been using the uh, Rowan's yeah. Visible Geology app a bunch recently for some Earth modeling adventures. What's happening? Are you okay? Did you? I don't know. It, I, it, you're going all kind of, but it might be me because I'm on uh, I'm on Wi-Fi today, and I'm not usually on Wi-Fi, so I'm a bit nervous. About okay, we're still so far. We're still good. On our on yeah. our end, it looks like things are okay. Okay, so anyway, if, even if YouTube could. Oh God, he's dropping out, folks. He's dropping out. As long so, as people can still hear us, though. I think they can still hear us. So I'm going to introduce you, Matt. We may want to. Uh, can you plug in there? And he's anyway. As we said earlier in the show, we have uh, Ethan Rosenthal here with us today, who is a data scientist now at DNCo. So last time we talked to you, Ethan, you were a data scientist at Birchbox. That's correct. And now you've moved on. Much has changed in the past nine months or something like what's, that. So what do you, what's different about your new gig? Uh, it's a different company uh, with a different business, but uh, I think from the from the data science and machine learning side, there there are some similarities and are some differences. So maybe maybe in terms of the company, 
the way the company works is uh, we sell plus size women's clothing. And uh, in terms of the business model, people uh, go to our website, they sign up with us, they fill out information about themselves in terms of what type of clothing they like, uh, what their sizes are, their styles, and things like that. And then we have stylists pick out five items of clothing to send them in a box. Whatever they like, they keep and pay for. Whatever they don't like, they send back to us. Uh, probably kind of a different domain than many of the people on your podcast have been in the past. Uh, but basically, all aspects of this company can be kind of enhanced with, with data and algorithms. Uh, so kind of similar to my last gig we talked before, uh, there's some optimization problems there uh, that we work on, so integer programming and things like that. Uh, lots of recommendations. Uh, you know, we have stylists to pick out clothing. Uh, I'm not confident enough in my algorithms to put them out of a job, and I don't think we'll ever be able to, but we can try to help them with their job to make them uh, you know, make them better, uh, you know, help them to find the clothing that they need to send to the customer. A sort of robotic symbiosis. Exactly. Humans and computers, you know, match made in heaven. That's right. Dogs, cats, can, can living you, together. Yeah. Can you also learn from them? Yes. So uh, we work on, I guess, both sides of this. So that's actually pretty interesting. We, you know, we try to build recommendation systems to understand what the customer is going to pick. Uh, but then, you know, if we were to take things simply, you can imagine that, let's say we want to know the probability that a customer will purchase something, you know, that, the, that our company will get a sale. Uh, we can have the probability that the customer purchases what we send them, but then the, the true probability is the probability that the stylist places an item in a box times the probability that the customer keeps it. Um, and so, you know, trying to understand both sides of this equation are, are pretty interesting. Um, and so. You know, we can try to try to learn how stylists behave and then learn how our customers behave at the same time. How do you collect data on the stylists, the employees of the company? Yeah, so basically, uh, we have like an internal system, uh, which is kind of like an internal e-commerce store. And so in many of the ways that you would collect data on, you know, I don't know, Macy's.com or Amazon or something like that, we collect the same data. So we know exactly what products stylists see, what they choose to place in boxes and things like that. And so kind of tracking their behavior allows us to then learn learn their behavior in an algorithmic form. Cool. Lots of fun. So are the recommender systems themselves quite similar? Uh, they're somewhat similar, but uh, I guess maybe somewhat more advanced than I've worked on in the past. So kind of classical recommendation systems, you know, you have a bunch of products, you have a bunch of customers, and uh, usually you want to find out which product should go to which customers. Um, and it's usually you kind of rely on data like, you know, what did people click on, on this website or what did people purchase? So if you ever go to Amazon, you might see it says, you know, people who purchased this also purchased that or people who viewed this also viewed that. Um, so we have that data because we know what people buy, but we also know a lot more. So we know uh, our customers fill out profiles in terms of what type of clothing they're into. They, they provide images of themselves. They give us written feedback. And from the product side, we have an entire taxonomy to our products. We have images of our products. And so kind of the fun and the, you know, the forefront of recommendation systems is combining all of that other information into the recommendation as well, uh, which is fun. <laughs> Very cool. So you get a f complete picture of products and customers. Exactly. Interface them. Talk the, about recommendations um, all day. The customers also rate stuff um, that they receive, I guess, do they? Yeah, yeah. So every product that we send them, they we encourage them to then fill out kind of a, a series of ratings in terms of 
you know, how well did this product fit? Uh, was the price right, et cetera? Right, uh, right. But then they also provide written feedback to us, just like reviews on Amazon. And so okay. there's lots of lots of unstructured data to uh, and information to extract from there as well. Yeah, wow. That's really cool. So how, can you uh, say roughly how many data scientists are employed at that uh, company? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I started in August, and I was the first. Okay. Um, we've hired, so we hired two since then. So we're a team of three, and then we actually have a, a head of data, another data scientist, and a data engineer all starting uh, next Monday. So our team wow. will double in size on Monday. So in the span of like cool. eight months, we've gone from zero to six people. So uh, <laughs> lots to do. <laughs> Very cool. That's, that's really awesome. Um, so it's in case you are not on the uh, software underground where where can you find that Matt? Uh, softwareunderground.org. Thank you. Thank you. In case you're not on the software underground um, You may be excited to join because Ethan is a regular contributor there So if you want to talk to a real actual data scientist not like Matt and I you can you can uh, find him there But so we've seen you on swung mentioning a lot of things about neural networks recently. Yeah. So are you doing stuff for work with neural networks or just for fun? Yeah, so for both, I guess, business and pleasure. Uh, in terms of work things, we, we've started to use them, but uh, it's somewhat more exploratory right now. Uh, so I guess kind of the reason we've wanted to use them is because I think it provides more flexibility in designing algorithms. So. You know, there's a lot of libraries out there for training machine learning models, building recommendation systems, and things like that. And they're, you know, they're maybe less flexible. So you kind of you have to get your data into a certain form. You are maybe limited in the architecture of your models that you can choose. Uh, and while there are those limitations, the nice thing about these uh, models is that uh, basically numerically they can be very well optimized for the task at hand. Uh, and so. You know, neural networks, we've been interested in them. And one of the nice things is that with all of these libraries that are out there now, you know, Torch and TensorFlow, et cetera, uh, I think one of the nicest things is that they do auto-differentiation for you. So you can just slap in modules, yeah? Yeah, so anybody who's tried to go through the derivation of, you know, what are the, what are the derivatives, what are the gradients of your, of your objective function, and then there's all sorts of uh, numerical tricks for trying to speed up the calculations of these. Uh, it's it's a major pain, <laughs> and the nice thing about the neural networks is that you you can just define your architecture and it builds your optimization for you. That's it. Um, and so we've started to play with it. On the other hand, because these neural networks are kind of this giant hammer to try to crush everything, uh, one of the things I've been finding is that they're not as in in many cases they're actually a bit slower uh, than the you know the well optimized focused uh, libraries that you can find out there. You want to take this, Matt? I got, I got something to say. You want to take this? No. You got something to say? Yeah. Well, yeah. so I, so we do a lot of work in our space in our domain on uh, data set offline data. Yeah. But data is recorded. It costs a ton of money to get it, and then and that's all you have. So in some sense, we don't care how long it takes to run anything, right? But in your case, you really do care. That's a huge factor, right? Totally. So to update models in real time, right? Ideally, you know, every time we get another piece of feedback from our customer, or every time we find out what she's chosen to purchase or not, we would like to use that information in updating our models. Uh, and so we train models every single day. 
but as companies grow, uh, you have to worry about scale. Um, I, I think, but I think in both of our domains, uh, even if you don't really care how long it takes to train the model, one wants to be able to try out a bunch of different models and you know try out a bunch of different things and and iterate and experiment and that just slows things down if you got to wait for the for the thing to train. Um, That's true, or you can just rent more compute. This is true. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't. Yeah. So you've been doing as I recall, some GPU parallelization recently. Yeah, so ju just as we were talking about, I, yeah, I was getting a little bit frustrated with, with how long some of these neural nets were taking to train. Uh, and I had actually, what I built with Keras was basically an exact copy of a, of a Cython library that I often use. So, so Cython is, it allows people to write C code, or I guess write Python code, and then compile that down to C code, uh, which basically allows you to work in Python, but much, much faster. Um, so I had this nice, fast library that I had been using, and then I, I re-architected it in Keras, which is one of, uh, which is basically a Python library on top of TensorFlow. And it was like 100 times slower, I think. And that was, on, that was with eight cores, I guess, on my laptop. And so I was chatting with Graham, and he's like, hey, you know, throw it on Amazon, try out a GPU. And so I tried that, and which took quite some time to, <laughs> to get set up. So that, that was not trivial, but but that's set up now. But even so, I, I got a speed up of maybe like 6x, uh, and I, which is great, but it's still you know kind of an order of magnitude less than these, than these well-tuned libraries. Uh, probably a lot of this could be me. Uh, I'm sure that there's ways to optimize you know, the TensorFlow graphs and everything else like that, but we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, at some point you've also got to factor in the the sort of cost of developing new, you know, everything, right? I mean, potentially totally. you're looking at needing to reshape data, obviously learn a lot of stuff, make sense of the outputs. Like that's that's why I have trouble kind of keeping up with it. It's like it's one thing to say, oh yeah, the computer it's like twice as twice as fast, but I spent 40 hours trying to get it to work. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I, I agree. I, and yeah, I guess I would still like to, to keep going with, with, these, with TensorFlow and things like that, just because uh, I know that my, it's going to take me so much longer to program these things from scratch than it would ever take to just wait for these libraries to finish. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally agree. Totally. Yeah, but it is, it is hard sometimes to because it's also fun to play with, right? Yes. You know, so it is. It's hard to keep track of how, how much um, time and effort you've spent on spent on stuff. Because the hours can certainly tick by while you're trying to <laughs> compile libraries, or you know, it's it's quite scary. But I I try and keep track of all that, and then usually what happens is I'm keeping track of it, and then you get into some rabbit hole trying to get something to work and then everything just goes out of the, you know, you're carefully like recording like all the things you've tried and the think the files you've edited and all this kind of thing. And then eventually you just tear everything into pieces and yeah, it either works what, or it doesn't at some point. You see that, that file shredder back there in the background? <laughs> yeah. It's stacked full right now. I started, I've been playing with um, reinforcement learning algorithms recently. I started messing around in the open AI gym and I'm not really sure where the last two weeks went. Uh, it's been awesome. 
and frustrating at the same time. Actually, yeah, I'm trying I just, to write a, uh, a apply for a, um, a, I guess it's a sort of a grant for that supports R and D essentially here in Canada. Mm -hmm. And I want to do something around deep learning because it's you know it's hard for us to get a contract doing something as speculative as that sort of Certainly. completely untested workflow. Um, but you know, just finding it really hard to articulate the you know they basically want a sort of Gantt chart of well how long are you going to spend on uh, data IO and data prep and how long are you going to spend defining the problem and it's like I, I don't really know <laughs> any of you know we. So it's, 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 I maybe, maybe it's too, the, the research is just too immature in our space, but I'm finding it hard to articulate the parameters of this experiment for them. Um, yeah, they have to imagine. I mean, they we should share that stuff on, on Swung. Maybe there's something Swung could, could help. Three. Maybe could. together we've all got the little bit of insight into. Yeah. Well, you know, here's how long it took us to set a machine up, and here's how long it took me to oh, design some visualizations around outputs or whatever it is. I thought you were headed in the direction of we all have enough BS together. As if, <laughs> if we crowdsource BS, we can write a nice grant. Well, I hadn't thought of it that way around. That's I'm going to have to edit that out of this episode before we release it. So, <laughs> so uh, Canada doesn't throw you out. Yeah, just to be we clear, the government of Canada, that's not what I meant. <laughs> hypothetically, hypothetically speaking. Um, so you guys both write awesome blogs. Thank you. And you're still blogging. Trying to. And how's it going? <laughs> it's going well. I, I guess, as with any blog, you probably always feel like you could be doing more. Uh, but yeah, it, it's good. I, I think maybe I average like a post a month. And I'm happy enough with that cadence. Uh, it's fun. It's fun. I, I guess I do it for various reasons. Uh, and so um, I think sometimes it's if I'm having trouble understanding something, it really helps me to try to write a post about it to distill my thoughts. Uh, they always say that, you know, like teaching is the best way of knowing that you know something. And I think a blog post is, is a fair proxy for that. Um, so that's been good. And then when I end up doing that, I end up having a like a public place where I can go look up things that I've already done because I always forget everything that I've done. And so mm -hmm. no matter what computer I'm on, I can I can be narcissistic and Google my own blog, uh, yeah. which helps. <laughs> yeah, it's actually it's actually like an, a, a notebook that you know that everything in that notebook you actually took the trouble to <laughs> conclude in some way. Yeah, at, at one point in time. Notebooks. <laughs> Just trail <laughs> off into, you know, the netherworld at some point as it turns into more and more scrambling. So yeah, I like the fact that I know that everything in there pretty much I made sure was linked to something approximately correct and actually led somewhere. Or, or if it wasn't correct, somebody has called you out on it, so now right. it's correct. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Do you get do you get called out on stuff much? Uh, not really. Probably because I don't enable comments on my blog. Oh, okay. Yeah, that would <laughs> it's a great be. way at preventing that. Uh, <laughs> I would actually like to enable comments. I just haven't spent the time to set it up. Uh, okay. I have. I did have a very blatant error in some of my code that I wrote on an earlier post, and I had I think three people email me to. Uh, to let me know what the error was, which actually was nice that I knew that three people had read the post. So totally. uh, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think that's a real feature for me. I, like, 
when I talk to people about sort of knowledge sharing and stuff in corporations mostly, there's uh, at some point somebody usually asks, well, we can't have just random people writing whatever it is, blogs or answers to questions on the internet. Like, what if someone's wrong? And I'm like, well, well wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, if someone's going around with some utter misconception or broken workflow, wouldn't you rather kind of expose that in some way and find out and have people help them? Uh, just stick your head in the sand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no, let's just keep all that. You know, such a funny mindset. Um, and once you've once you've sort of thrown off the fear of being being wrong about something, it's actually quite liberating. You know, you yeah, don't have yeah. to have the, the the answer necessarily. That's right. You yeah. can you can record a crappy podcast. <laughs> no big For deal. Example. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Here, I edited um, your podcast for you. You're welcome. We don't get it right, or do we? We need to crowdsource some podcast edits. That would be lovely. Yeah. We actually, so we had a, um, was it Ari again who, who posted another uh, yeah. notebook solution to to um, our Riddle Me This from two weeks ago or something? Yeah. Awesome. It's been amazing. Yeah. Um, we're, okay. We have that on Software Underground if you want to read it. He did an amazing. Did he beat you? Did he beat yep. your solution? Uh -huh. He did. I, well, two people have beaten my solution now. How long um, was your? Give us a summary of the just real quick brief. Uh, I knew you were going to say that, and uh, I haven't got it in front of me. So I think I got down to, if I'm remembering rightly, I got down to 45 letters with the solution that I mentioned on the podcast. Uh, I guess it was last week, um, and then a chap here in uh, Nova Scotia, actually, Dewey Dunnington, who's also in in Software Underground, he got down to 43, um, and that's on Twitter somewhere. And then, yeah, um, is it Ari? Is that how you say Then he, he got down to 40 letters um, this morning, he announced. And I think he's also published his, um, his IPython notebook now, too. And both did, of yeah. them were using some cunning, much more cunning approach than I was using, where they were sort of doing, um, I think, essentially trying to analyze the re relative rareness of the letters in words and ranking them that way and then sampling from a sort of rareness distribution to be a bit smarter about how you actually um, find these words. And both of their solutions, so I'd, I'd, I'd had the sort of uh, flawed assumption that fewer names, fewer minerals in the solution would be better. But actually, both of their solutions have five uh, minerals in the solution and searching that space exhaustively would be I mean you just can't do it so yeah. um, so they had to come up with smart ways of doing it so we still have mentioned the question which was uh, find the shortest length list of mineral names which contains all the letters in the English alphabet and actually I said any alphabet um, but I think so far <laughs> we've only had submissions in English is that true Yes. Yeah, no, no one's no one's made up their own alphabet. Um, yeah, it's, Wait, they've, all been, can... they've all been in English. <laughs> it doesn't. There's other non-native al alphabets, I think. Yeah, but um, um, I also I have I did find the sort of convert or a converse problem um, this morning in hacking around on this week's riddle me this um, question, which was. Um, I accidentally, I accidentally found a list of five mineral names 
with a total of 29 letters, but together they only contain five letters of the alphabet. <laughs> yeah. So so now so now that's yeah, the new challenge is Oh, that's the new challenge. Can you beat that? Yeah. Okay, good. That's that's a good that's a good point because we we actually didn't have a real me that's prepared for this week. So <laughs> okay. so let's let's can we can we re rephrase that in the in the form? Um, now, now speaking, Matt Hall on this week's Undersampled Radio, riddle me this. Take it away. <laughs> this is the new challenge you want, not last week's solution. Yes. Is it? Yes. Yeah. So, I guess I found a list of mineral names. Um, Setineite, ice, ice. Is Wait, are you giving the answer away right now? No, this is the list that I found. Oh, I want someone to beat this. Um, Tainite, tin. And tintisite. So there's five. <laughs> nice. So together they have together they have thirty-two letters, uh -huh. um, but there's only five letters in there: I, C, E, N, and T. Um, can you do better than that? So five or fewer letters, but a longer list of legit minerals. But 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 Graham, yes. last week we also set some other challenges, like the we well, the longest name is obviously trivial. Um, the what's you can mineral, give those answers now. The mineral with the most letters, so the longest name, I, I doubt I can pronounce. Um, come on, let's give it a shot. <laughs> Floro tetraferifloggerpite has <laughs> got 26 letters. Um, and then I've got what's the um longest name using most letters, or the mineral name that uses most individual letters of the alphabet. And that was um, hydrobasaluminite with 15 letters of the alphabet. That's a hell of a Scrabble score. Yeah. Uh, shortest mineral name with all of the vowels. Uh, Rueite, I guess. R-O-U-A-I-T-E. So it's only got two extra letters. Um, the most unique letters with no repeats. Okay, so the most unique letters, uh, hydrocalamite, hydrocalamite, I guess. Uh, then I've got a list of the shortest names, <laughs> beginning with each of the letters of the alphabet. So Abuite, Beryl, Cerium, etc. Um, and then the longest names for each letter of the alphabet. So, <laughs> ammonio magnesio voltaite, uh, barrio, barrio pharmo siderite. Uh -huh. Etc. Et uh, and and all of this is in a notebook that I just pushed to Git called uh, it's in github.com slash software underground slash undersampled radio. Mineral name silliness. <laughs> these 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 riddles are getting very difficult to articulate. <laughs> yeah, I like it. It's a nice challenge every week. Um, Ethan, we are asking our guests a new question at the end of every episode. Uh -oh. And what's that question, Matt? Well, what are you reading right now, book-wise? For, for business or for pleasure? Yeah. <laughs> yes, OK. Let's start with business. Uh, not to beat a dead horse and speak about deep learning again, but I, I have been trying to make my way through Ethan, this. Ethan, that, that <laughs> horse is not dead. <laughs> Not yet. It's very far from dying. As far it's as this podcast it's is still concerned. being hyped. So, uh, yeah, there is this book that came out called Deep Learning, uh, which you can 
find out information about it. You, you can actually see it up there on the shelf oh, behind nice. me. At deeplearningbook.com, which I, I thought was you know genius. Uh, anyway, I've been reading it, and it's actually excellent. Um, I think most textbooks I've read have been terrible. Uh, yes. Not saying that I could do better. I just it's I, it's just always hard to learn from them. And this book, uh, I think it explains things very well. The math is at a very reasonable level, so it you know it doesn't shy away from the math, but it also doesn't try to obfuscate everything with math. Uh, and it's kind of like a nice a nice overall picture into it. There we go. Uh, and it just came out, so you know that it's relevant at least for like the next week. <laughs> right. uh, so I've been reading that. That's great. In terms of pleasure, I actually like never read nonfiction. I get really bored. I, I feel like lots of tech people always talk about nonfiction books, and I just I, I can't remember the last one I finished. Uh, but oh. I've been reading Infinite Jest for fun, uh, which is kind of fun. But I've been reading it since June, <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, it's it's very long and hard to get through. I'm like 85% of the way through. My goal is to finish it within a year. So, uh, you know, we'll talk again in June. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Got it. Wow. Cool. Yeah. What are you reading? Oh, um... <laughs> well, uh, I'm actually reading uh, a book about taphonomy right now. What's taphonomy? Um, well, it's funny you should ask. Uh, it's basically it's everything that happens to uh, a creature uh, or, or any living thing after it dies. Um, so everything from rigor mortis, decomposition, burial, fossilization, and I think even in principle, discovery and etc. until it makes it into the hands of a paleontologist who can describe it. So it's wow. it, essentially it's the sort of the life cycle, if you like, of a dead thing. It's uplifting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of weird, but it's actually it's, really it's really interesting. What's the author's background? Is the author a paleontologist? It's actually quite a dry book. <laughs> Maybe not surprisingly, but it, it's quite um, an academic tome. It turns out. Um, but I'm interested in fossilization right now. We're actually, I'm actually in the middle of editing, or I just finished editing um, our latest 52 Things book, which is another um, paleontology. Another one? Yes. Where can um, we find, when can we find that, Matt? That will be in, uh, in all good Amazon stores near you in about probably two months. I'd like to get it out before EAGE, actually, because I'd like to bring it. Um, yes. Yeah, so anyway, we'll see. How that goes? I'm hoping that you you hold another contest, uh, to, and the winner gets a, a copy of a free copy of the book. There you go. Yeah. Well, we should do that. We'll yeah. think of something. Should. I'm um, reading The Shack by E. Young. It's a book about uh, a guy who spends a weekend in a shack in the middle of the woods with God. Okay. Personify uh, uh, just character. just a weekend. Physical being, just weekend. Right, not a dirty weekend, I, I assume. No, 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 nothing like that. Oh, you haven't finished it yet, right? I haven't finished. It. <laughs> we never know. We don't know what's going. The um, it's it's pretty interesting. It's uh, I think it's a New York Times bestseller. Um, anyway, light recommendation. Let me let me see uh, when I finish it. I'll tell you. 
Yeah, That'll it's um in two weeks when we talk again. I don't get as much time for I've I've taken to for like falling asleep reading lately, which is pretty sad. But um, oh, I feel no. like I read like half my day and I write for half my day. And, and then what do you do for the third half of your day? For the other half, I'm doing other things. But um, yeah, it quite often I just don't really want to read anything. But yeah, to be honest, it's a great way to fall asleep, though. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I, do, I, I tell you, I love. Um, I've said the thing I've said before on this show, but I love comic books. That's my like. I really, if I've got a new comic book to read, and I mean, I don't mean like a comic. I mean like a graphic novel, I guess. But if I've got a new uh, one of those to look forward to, I'm. I'm into that. I'm into those. Dr. Ethan Rosenthal, thank you for being our second live guest here at the show. Yeah, and I want a live our, guest. Our third, our third repeat guest, I believe, maybe fourth. Yeah. Um, this is cool. I think yeah. we should. I think we should. What do you think, Matt? Should we have him back? Yeah, let's have him back. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for having me. I'll, uh, I'll switch jobs again, and then we'll have something else to talk about. It'll be great. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, do you want us to schedule it first so you know when you're switching jobs, or do you want to wait till you actually switch? It would be good to know when I should switch jobs, so just, just tell me. <laughs> Matt. Hey, Matt. Yeah. Matt. Oh, what came first? one of those. What, yeah. <laughs> what came first, the chicken or the egg? No, that's that's obvious. Is it, I mean, is it really so obvious? Yeah. Why is it so obvious? Well, the, the you know, the, the egg did, right? Because the eggs, because the egg's been around. I, I don't know when, but the egg's been around since what the Triassic. Yes, Permian, Permian probably. What came first, the Triceratops or the egg? <laughs> <laughs> Sign us off, Matt. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks a lot again, Ethan, for being our special person. Um, <laughs> have an awesome weekend, both of you, and um, we'll see you all soon. <laughs>